Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Randolph. I'm with the Army up here in Alaska, and I've been going to ACF for uh, just about a year now. Growing up, came from a very broken home. My father was extremely uh, physically and uh, verbally abusive to the point where he has broken bones in my mom's body from throwing her across rooms and put me and my brother in a truck and threatened to drive us to Florida when I was like seven years old before cops showed up. And um, Yeah, and it, Going forward with that at such a young age, like I just, I never thought about it before and coming up through middle school and all that, like I didn't really care to know if there was a God or not. Uh, just never really crossed my mind. And then there was a week summer camp that summer. I went and it was the most transformative week of my life. It was just a week of complete separation from the outside world. Um, I didn't have to deal with anything going on at home. I didn't have, I could at least leave all my anxieties and depression and everything that I was going through behind. And that's when I uh, started to become a follower of Jesus after that. As soon as I graduated, I up and left for the army. I didn't lose the faith, but I definitely shied away from it a little bit just because I was going through so much change and was probably the hardest part. Uh, came up to Alaska January of 2017. Two months later, I deployed to Afghanistan for nine months. Kind of was a, another interesting point. Um, I'd been dating a girl for uh, three and a half years at that point and uh, found out two days before Christmas uh, that she was cheating on me. And that really destroyed me. It definitely shied me away from God. Um, and as much as I wanted to cling back on, I also had this pulling feeling pulling me away, wondering like if God has been in my life this far and like 
I thought he was in the center of like this relationship and everything, then why did this happen to me? The number one thing I could always think about is like having a home. Because uh, on, you know, overseas, it's you have your buddies next to you and everything, but it, there's, I definitely realized there's a difference between um, having those guys that you've served with um, versus having, you know, a church and a faith um, home, I guess you could say. So I got home in June of 2018 and immediately started coming back to ACF. Um, I thought about this church more than I thought about really a lot of other things while I was deployed. I couldn't wait to come back and get more involved in this church. I don't think I would be anywhere near uh, as far, I guess, ahead in my faith as I am now without ACF in my life. I have realized that everything can be overcome through the grace of Jesus. And that has been kind of this touching stone of where my life is at right now, is no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, no matter the circumstance you're in, the grace of Jesus has overcome that already and will continue to overcome that. Um, and he's always gonna be for you, never against you. My name is Randolph and that's why I need church. So good. Hey, welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're with us today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome everybody who's with us online as well. We're glad that you're with us. We love you. We're glad that you're here. And so if you're brand new, we are thrilled uh, that you're with us here this morning. Um, I don't know what has tried to keep you from church today, but you made it, and I'm glad that you are, are here. And so um, it's a big season for us as a church. We have a big announcement at the end of church today, so don't take a smoke break. Uh, stick around for that, and uh, you're going you're gonna to want to hear what's coming up. But we are in a series of talks called Who Needs Church? And I love Randolph's story. It's just a story of uh, God's faithfulness in his life to draw him back into a community that he loves and we're really been, we've been asking this question of, of why do we do the church, do church? And what is it, what is it about that brings us back here every week? And like, why, why do we even uh, gather? And so for us as ACF Church, we've stepped away from our building for this summer. We've called it a season of recalibration where we're just looking at what we do and why we do it. And hopefully for you personally, you've been asking those same questions uh, to prepare you as we move into this fall, get back into our building and this next season of ministry. So we're really excited about that, but asking really important questions. Who needs church? What's the point of all of this? And, and really the deeper question is, how could Jesus die for something that we have no need for? How could Jesus die for something we have no need for? Jesus gave his life for the church. In fact, we read this in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the type of love that Christ has for the church is a self-sacrificial, give-up-everything type of love. Just the same kind of love that a healthy marriage would have within it. That, that kind of love Christ has for the church. And so for you, do you love the church that way? Do you give of yourself for the church? Do you show up sort of as a, as a consumer to church? Are you contributing and, and giving of yourself for God's family? The church is often called the bride of Christ. And as Christ's bride, we're to love her well. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe uh, you are not so sure about church. For some of you in the room here today, it's your first Sunday. And others of you, it's probably your last Sunday. And I totally acknowledge that. I totally realize that that exists every single week. Somebody is coming for the first time and somebody is coming for the last time. 
But I want to push you a little bit today on the power of community and, and how important it is. I was reading a book recently by David Brooks called The Two Mountains, or The Second Mountain, actually, it's called. And he says this, he says, Our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people towards relation, community, and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for, yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. So what he's saying is we have a culture beyond the church that's realizing this whole doing, doing life on your own thing isn't working. It's not helping us. We're not healthy as we would be if we were in community. And so once again, way beyond the walls of the church, people are realizing that there is value in having a family, even beyond your blood family, having a community of people that love you and that you're loving well. And that's what the church is all about, is loving each other really well. But the truth is, no matter where you're at today, if you're looking for a reason to leave the church, you'll always find one. If you're looking for any reason to leave the church, you, I guarantee you, you can find a reason. Or even just to not attend church, right? A friend of mine a few weeks ago, we were giving each other a little bit of a hard time, um, which my best friends are people that I can give a hard time to. And so uh, I was talking to him about church. I was like, hey man, we'll see you tomorrow morning at church. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. I was like, why aren't you going to come to church? And he says, well, I'm, I'm going on a trip on Monday. I got to pack. Like, you got to pack? Are you moving? Like, what, what is it that you can't come to church for an hour on Sunday morning that you're packing for, right? And so, you know, I was, I was pushing. We were laughing about it. But the truth is, if you're, if you're looking for an excuse, if you're looking for a reason to leave the church or walk away from the church, uh, you will always find one. But the opposite is true as well. I believe that if you're looking for a reason to love the church, you will always find one. There are people here that you need to get to know. There are people here who will bring out the best in you. And one of the things for me, I was a military kid. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force for 30 years, and so we traveled around a lot and went from place to place. And, and so I had to do the, the morning friendships thing, where I would just mourn the loss of these relationships that I'd built. And many of you go through this all the time. And what I realized is the people that I mourned the loss of the most were the type of people that brought out the best in me. I mean, maybe you have somebody that you hang out with and you're like, I just love who I am around her. I love who I become around him. And the truth is we really don't get to know ourselves apart from others. We, we need people in our lives to understand who we are and who we were created to be. And I want to talk real quick. I'm going to blast through 10 things real quick, 10 reasons that people don't uh, attend church nearly as often today. And I didn't make these up. These were written by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. And I read this, and I just thought they spoke so perfectly to where we're at. And my hope for you is that you might see yourself in this list. And a bit of a disclaimer, all of these things are not bad things. They're not intrinsically bad things, but they can become bad things when they draw us away from our community. So the first thing he said is a reason we don't go to church as much today is simply greater affluence. In our world, the, the middle class is shrinking. The, the upper class is really growing and with all of the, the extra kind of funds that we have available to ourselves means that we just have more options, right? I mean, there, there's people, and there maybe was a time in your life where you're like, it's Sunday morning, what, I'm doing, what am I doing? I'm going to church because I can't afford anything else, right? I'm not going to Taco Bell. I'm not going to a movie. I'm just going to go to church because we haven't charged for church in quite a while. So you can just show up and be at church and, and have a great time. And with more affluence means more options, we have a lot of other things that we could be doing that draw us away 
from the family of God. I think another thing that we see is a higher focus on kids activities, right? If you're a parent, you know that there's so much stuff vying for your children's attention. You've got soccer, and you know, you've got gymnastics, and you've got after-school activities, and before you know it, you're just busy. You're busy on the weekdays and on the weekends, and with all of that means a lot of times we just don't go to church as much, and with greater affluence comes more travel. We travel, we can just hop in an airplane and be across the world in moments. And with more travel means that we're just going to be gone from Sunday morning or Wednesday night more often. Uh, another thing we see is uh, blended and single parent families. We have a lot of those in our church. And those of you who are in blended families or single parent families know the challenges of just getting to church on Sunday, right? Just to get the kids out and you don't have somebody helping you. And with this, even sometimes comes financial challenges, and maybe you're, you're supporting two households on just your income, which means that your car is maybe a piece of junk right now, right? And you lack reliable transportation to just get you to church. So it's something that we see as sort of the idea of marriage is being broken down in our society. The value of staying married, married isn't something that is valued as much today. We see a decrease in church attendance um, number five is online options. Those of you who are online with us today, we're, we love you. We're so glad that you're wherever you are, that you're part of our family. But let's, let's acknowledge, let's be honest, there are sometimes you wake up on Sunday morning and you got your cup of coffee and you got your couch and you're like, this is where I'm doing church, right? I'm just staying here right now. And, and the feeling is honest, I get it's comfortable. And, and maybe for you, if, if just one snowflake hits the ground, you are just not coming to church. Um, and I get, I totally understand, uh, for me sometimes, if I wasn't preaching, I'd want to stay home and just do church in my living room. I understand that. But there is something that you are missing apart from this community. There is something that you don't get in your living room that you can have here. Sorry, online people. I love you. But there's something you can't get apart from the family that is here with you. Also, we see the cultural disappearance of guilt, which you're like, isn't that a good thing, Brian? And, and it is, but... Um, what I'm speaking about specifically is that in today's culture, for us, it's pretty easy to skip church and not feel too bad about it, right? Like your neighbor's not looking out the blinds like, Bill, skip church today, right? For the most part, it's, it's pretty culturally acceptable that you don't go to church on a Sunday morning. And so that disappearance of feeling like, oh, I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday has given us to some degree an excuse to uh, not be here, right? Another thing we see is self-directed spirituality, Self-directed spirituality. Uh, we live in a YouTube culture, don't we? Like if I want to remodel my kitchen or change out an alternator on my car, where do I go? YouTube right? or Google. I'll Google how to do it. I don't need anybody else's help. I'll take care of it myself. And I think today we view our spirituality the same, don't we? We think, well, I'll just Google it. I'll read a couple books and I'll go online, watch a YouTube video, and then I'll figure out how to be a Christian and let me just assure you, it does not work that way. Anybody who's ever had a coach or a teacher that has impacted their lives knows that you can get something from a human being that you can't get from the internet. Am I right? That we need people in our lives to encourage us and challenge us, to, to, to notice things about us that we don't notice because guess what? We all have blind spots. We have things that we don't know about ourselves that your friends and your family, they know it. And if they don't tell you, who will? And so we can't assume that we will grow apart from community. Another thing we see is a, a failure to see a direct benefit. Can we admit that sometimes 
um, will leave church and will think, I don't think that did any good for me. Like, what was the point of any of that? Now, that may be, that may be you or it may be me. I'll be honest, right? I'll be, sometimes maybe it's just a terrible sermon. Brian blew it, clearly. Just didn't do a good job. Or maybe you don't see the value in what we have here. And you have to figure that out. Is it the church's fault that you don't see a direct benefit or is it yours? And that's, that's something for you to figure out. Another thing we see is valuing attendance over engagement. This is really especially for you church people who grew up in a church and uh, this was always part of life. You just go to church on Sunday. Uh, but for you, understand this. Like Jesus is not impressed with your church attendance. He's not up going like, Sarah is awesome. She's there on Sunday morning every single week, right? He's not impressed with that. What he wants is your heart and he wants all of it. And so for us as a family, we thrive when people engage their hearts and their minds and their lives with the family of God. But attending church, you know, honestly, I've got better things to do than to just get people to attend church. Although some of you are like, he just wants more people here. Honestly, I want you here to be engaged, to grow, to, to, to develop as a Christian, right? That's, that's the whole point of all of this, is to contribute and to see what God does in our hearts. And the last thing that's kind of a catch-all for all of this is just we see a, a massive culture shift, don't we? In our world, there's just a shift in the way we deal with our spirituality, a way that we learn about our faith. It's all changing. And so what you need to know about ACF is that we are always changing. As the culture shifts, so do we. And and our promise to you is that the medium will always change, but the message never will. And, and, And we will always talk about Jesus. And so if you're, if you're sick of hearing about Jesus, you're at the wrong church because we just keep bringing it back to the gospel. We keep bringing it back to Jesus. And in the end, it is what fuels us for the week. It is what fuels us for the challenges that come on Monday is knowing that Jesus' grace is sufficient for our weakness. Amen? So that's why we do this. Maybe you see yourself in this list. And if you do, my question for you is, does it have to be that way? Is this really the only way? Does it have to be this way? Or could you... Find yourself fully engaged with the family of God? Could you find yourself enjoying and thriving with the people that are in this community? And I really believe that you can. So today's message I've entitled, I Almost Missed It. I almost miss a lot of things, I'll be honest. There's a lot of things that I don't realize are going on around me. I can be a little spacey sometimes and just totally miss what's happening. Even in these rows in front of me, sometimes I have no idea what's going on around me. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. If you grab a Bible or grab your phone and pull it out and at least act like you're looking at your Bible, if you're playing, you know, whatever, Candy Crush, just open your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 13. If you don't have the ACF Church app, I want to encourage you to download that, and all the text and notes will be there as well. But at this point, what we're seeing in the story of the early church, this is really the story of our family. And this is written by a man named Luke, and Luke has the Gospel of Luke, which is the story of Jesus. And then he documents the beginning of the church, the beginning of our family. And at this point in the development of the church, what we have are we have all of these people who are who are the Jews, God's chosen people, with, with this Israelite heritage. And then these people, many of them are rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting what is true, that Jesus is the Messiah and, and that there can be salvation through grace alone. And so we see that. And then we see over here all of these Gentiles. These would be sort of like the unchurched people, the people without the same heritage or the same background, and they are clinging to the gospel. 
They are hearing it and they're getting it. And if you have a pen, I want you to start off by writing this down. The people who were closest to the truth were the ones who missed it. We're seeing this, not all of them, but many of those who were closest to the truth, closest to understanding Jesus and who he was, were the ones who missed it. I mean, they knew the Mosaic law, right? They, they knew all that had come before and all the prophecy that had led to what happened in Jesus. They knew all of that. They were living these moral, upright lives to the best of their ability. They were the kind of people that you would think, oh, they'd be really great Christians. And yet many of them are the ones that rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so at this point in the story, Paul and Barnabas, are, they're gathered together at a church in Antioch. And here's what happens. Verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so once again, we see in the early church that a lot of amazing things happen at church. I mean, they are in community, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and then they commission Paul and Barnabas to go on their first missionary journey. It's a really, really big moment for those two. And when they leave, when Paul leaves, he heads sort of back towards his homeland. He heads towards Tarsus, and then he ends up 200 miles west of Tarsus in an area called Pisidian Antioch. So there's two Antiochs. It gets confusing, but there's two different and actually multiple others in the ancient world, but two Antiochs specifically. So they're at a different Antioch, 200 miles west of Tarsus. Now Paul is around people that he knows, He's near people that get him and he gets, right? Again, he gets their songs. He gets their customs. He gets the type of people that he's doing ministry towards. And one thing for you to note today, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a special ministry towards people that are like you. I mean, you can reach people that no one else can reach for the gospel because of who you are and where you came from. And so it's interesting that Paul goes back towards what is familiar and he starts with sharing the gospel with them. And in verse 16, it says, So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So he's at the synagogue, and it would have been customary for him as a guest um, to, to get up and speak and, and share. And so he's a, he's a guest teacher. He's getting up to speak. He motions with his hand, and he, he addresses two types of people in the room. First, we've got those who are the men of Israel, right? Those who are God's chosen people. He's addressing the Jews in the room, but then there's some other people in the room. He addresses those who fear God. And and who are they? Those are the Gentiles. These are people who have heard about this God. They've heard maybe the story of of Jesus, and they want to hear more about what's going on with him. And so they're, they're there to hear from Paul. And so you've really got the churched and the unchurched in the room. So Paul is going to speak to both of those people. And when he does, we don't have time to get into it. He preaches this beautiful sermon about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the the prophecy. Jesus is the answer to all of their questions. And he lays it all out to them. And in verse 39, it says, And by him, being Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. So listen to that. Everyone who believes is freed. Let me, let me just tell you, their jaws would have dropped to the floor. 
Their jaws would have, they're like, some of them are going to just be amazed by this reality. Like, you're, you're telling me that Jesus has done everything that I haven't done. Because imagine, this room is full of religious people who have done their best to live morally upright lives. They've done their best to do the right thing as much as they can, but just like us here today, they were very aware of their shortcomings. Right? So nobody's as aware of the ways that you've blown it as you are. I mean, you're really aware. Even at church here today, you maybe showed up with your big fat Bible and your church clothes on, but you know what happened last night. And you know happened, you know, this last week. You know where you failed. And I guarantee in that room were people that this was music to their ears. You're telling me that everything from which I could not be freed from by the law of Moses, I can experience that freedom through believing in Jesus. That's incredible. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that everything you have failed to do, Jesus has already done. Like whatever you failed to do this week, however you failed to honor God and honor other people, that Jesus has already done those things for you. He's already succeeded in where you have already failed. He's done it for you. He's accomplished it. It is finished. And, and, and so this is, really, this is really good news for us when we, we acknowledge this and when we actually accept this. There can be so much peace because then we can enjoy the journey. Let me just ask you, anybody here, would you say that you wish you were farther along in your faith than you are? Be honest. Okay. So most people in the room would say, I wish I was farther along than I am. And I feel that way too. I wish I was farther along than I am. But part of the reason that we get so discouraged about that is that we don't really believe this. We don't really believe that everything that we have failed at, in every way that we have not done the right thing, Jesus has already done what is right in our place. And when you believe that, here's what you can do. You can enjoy the journey. You can enjoy the process of growing in your faith, the process of sanctification, which is just to become more like Christ, more holy. That you don't have to feel discouraged about yourself, that you haven't maybe gone as far as you wish you had. You can actually enjoy where you are right now. And that's really good news. And beyond that, here's what's so cool. Then we are freed from judging others who aren't farther on down the road. I mean, when we believe this, we can actually encourage others and encourage them for where they are. This is why we don't judge people for where they are. We judge them for where they've come from, right? Like, like how far have you come on the journey, not where are you today? You should be farther, right? And so you are freed from standing on the moral high ground when you realize that you have not accomplished what you've set out to do. All of us. We've all failed in many, many different ways. And yet whatever you have failed to do, Jesus has already done. So that's so good news, right? No more having to judge other people for where they're at. I mean, I mean, maybe you show up to church today and somebody's out front and they're vaping in the parking lot, right, before church. And you're like, what are they doing? They're vaping before church. And I'm like, they're vaping before church. You don't know what they were doing after they were vaping last year, but today they're vaping and they're going to church. That sounds like progress, right? Like you, maybe you saw a girl and she slapped out drunk last night. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can clap for that. Maybe you've seen somebody who's, you know, partying it up, slapped out drunk last night, and she's at church on Sunday morning, and you're like, what a hypocrite. But she's at church on Sunday morning, right? And what you call hypocrisy is maybe progress in her life. 
And we can find ourselves standing on a moral high ground until we realize that in so many ways we have failed to do what Jesus has called us to do. But Jesus has done what we have failed to do for us. And that means that we all stand level together in need of grace. That means we can accept each other and love each other right where we are. And then we can cheer for each other to keep moving, right? This is not an excuse to just sit back. It's not an excuse to to stop moving forward. It's to move forward by the grace of Jesus instead of a sense of judgment and shame. And for some of you, that's why you walked away from church a long time ago is because you were like, yeah, that, all I feel is judgment and shame. All I feel is, is this feeling of, of being the outsider. And yet the Jesus that we read about is a Jesus that wants to bring everyone in. He's a Jesus that says everyone has a seat at the table and all of us stand together in need of grace and he wants to welcome you into his family. And I love that he says everyone who believes is freed. Which begs the question, freed from what? Freed from guilt, freed from shame, freed from judgment of those who seem less put put together, right? I mean, we, we are freed by the grace of Jesus simply through belief in what he has already accomplished for us. And for me, this is really good news um, because I get up every single week to preach and I have to actually preach the gospel to myself every Sunday morning. Um, I wake up on Sunday morning, I open my eyes, and I immediately feel inadequate. I immediately feel like I should never step on stage. Because guess who's really aware of all my insecurities and all my weakness? Me. Guess who's aware of my failures? I am. But over the past almost 16 years that I've been in ministry, I have learned that my weaknesses can be my greatest strengths. We talked a lot about this last week. If you weren't here, it's about how God wants to use our weaknesses And if you find yourself in a place where you're even leading other people and struggling with feelings of shame, I want you to read a book. I I want to put it up on the screen. I ran across this book a while back. It's called Leading with a Limp. And um, this is huge, you guys. Every leader, every good leader that I respect and love, they've got a limp. They've got something in their lives that keeps them humble. Paul would call it the thorn of his flesh. The thing that he's just pleaded with God to take away, and yet it's still there. I think every good leader has a limp, and I'm absolutely no different. And and I would tell you that I've learned that a limp isn't just permissible in leadership in the church. I would actually tell you that it's almost necessary. I mean, your weakness is almost necessary for you to lead others because nobody can follow someone who's perfect, right? That's just unattainable. But when people recognize that you have weakness and that God has worked through that, it empowers them to do the same. And so let me encourage you with that today. But for them in this room, as Paul preaches the gospel, many of them were rejecting this. Many of them were not ready to hear the good news. But yet many of them were so excited about the message that Paul preached that they invited him back next week, which is really good news, right? Like when you preach a sermon and everybody's like, can you do that again next week? That's a really good sermon, right? And it continues on in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So guess what happened? The people heard something that was like food to their soul. They heard the good news, and guess what they they thought? They thought, my neighbor needs to hear this. My friends need to hear this. My family members need to hear this. Like, Like, they couldn't just hear the gospel and walk away and come back the next week for themselves. They brought their friends and their family, and the whole city shows up to hear the good news. That's really good church growth, right? If like next week we double in size because you all bring a friend because you're like, I heard the gospel, And it was so good for my soul that I can't imagine any of my friends, anybody that I love, not knowing about Jesus. So you're just dragging them to church, right? Left and right. 
that's my challenge to you. So he keeps going. And the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. So imagine that. You've been in church your whole life. You have lived a Thanks, Josh. Oh, man, now I can walk around. This is great. All right, sweet. Where were we? So, so here's what's going on. So you've got all these people who are church people who have lived really upright lives and done the right thing as best as they can, and then they, they show up at church on Sunday morning, and it's all the wrong type of people, as we talked about last week. The crowd is, is all these people that shouldn't be in the church, and they respond with jealousy, because so the message of Paul is is really like, hey, you know what you've done your whole life, like you know all the good things that you've done, the salvation that was promised to you as God's chosen people. You know that that's actually attainable by anybody. It's accessible to anyone, no matter what their background is or where they've come from. And so, for those who have sort of paid their dues, that was offensive. It was offensive because they had worked so hard, they had done so much. And to hear that the gospel is accessible to any and everyone that would come and humble themselves by the feet of Jesus is just totally offensive to them. And it continues on. It says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, which is, this is cool. So one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is that when people oppose you, you continue to speak boldly. When people challenge you or push you or you know, disagree with you, that you speak boldly about what God has laid in your heart. It says, speak boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And this is what we know. If you know the story of Abram, right? So God makes this promise to Abram that he's, he's going to be the father to many, many nations. And God fulfills that promise. And you move all the way to ex, into Exodus. And it's, you know, there's millions of people that he's a father, essentially, to. And this is God's chosen people. This, this is God's chosen people, those who he would rescue. And so they're waiting for this Messiah. They, they felt like they were God's special people, right? And then when he says that the gospel is accessible to all people, it is offensive to them. But he says, I have to come to you first. And the reason is, I think it's, the reason is this, because Jesus calls those who say they are the people of God to actually be the people of God. I mean, it's not enough for you to just simply say, I am God's chosen man. I am his chosen woman. Paul wants to show them that salvation comes by grace. And when you receive the grace of Jesus, it results in a self-sacrificial love for the world that people have never seen before. And he sees that that the first people that need to hear the good news are the, the people who are the people of God. And I'll tell you the same is true probably in the church today. Some of you here have been in church your whole life. And yet you've been so close to the gospel that you've missed it. You come every week. Maybe you know some. You can spout out some Bible verses, right? Maybe you did Bible quizzing as a kid, went to Awanas, went to youth group. I mean, you've got the religious roots. But isn't it true that once again, we can be so close to the truth of Jesus that we miss how incredible it is, that we miss how deep and wide his love for the church is, that Jesus didn't die to, to build a country club, but an army of people that would love people like Christ loved the church, right? 
And so he's challenging them with this. He says, I want to share the good news with you first so that you might actually go from just calling yourself God's people to actually being God's people. I bet there's someone here today, and I I see this in my life all the time, that, that, that we've called ourselves Christians, but we walk through our days and no one can tell, right? And so we want to go from calling ourselves Christians to actually being Christ followers. And then Paul says this. He says, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, right? You chosen people that the, 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 first, the first to hear about Jesus as the Messiah, you're, re- you're rejecting him. So I'm going to go to the Gentiles. For, the, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I want to I push on this statement. They've judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. That's a huge deal, right? I mean, what if I said that to you? You here today have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Some of you, that would be a pretty offensive, wouldn't it? But what he's actually saying is that we all, in this room right now currently, are either standing under the grace of Jesus or under the wrath of God. We're either living under the grace of Jesus or under the wrath of God. And he's saying, hey, your eternal life begins today, right? Your eternal life begins today. Not something that you just die for in the future. This isn't a conversation of what happens after you die. Eternal life begins today. And your eternity will be lived out tomorrow and the next day and the next on into eternity, either under the wrath of God or under the grace of Jesus, right? And so what he wants to tell, I believe, the Christians, the church in the room, is that when Jesus gives us eternal life, it begins today. That you can actually step into the promises of God today, that we don't want to wait until the day that we die to experience all that God has for us, that that actually begins today. But for them, they have thrust the truth aside. They have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. They have chosen to try to live and receive salvation by the law, right? And many of you know this verse. This is James 2.10. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So he's saying, like, if you want to be saved by the law, you'll end up dying by the law. If you want to be saved by your moral and upright behavior, you'll actually end up dying by it. But if you want to be saved by Jesus, then you can receive eternal life. And so for some of you who are religious in the room, who are church people in the room, you need this message as much as they did. You've been so close to the gospel that you've missed the truth of Jesus. You've missed salvation by grace through faith. And so what does this next step look like for you? I mean, Jesus' own people rejected him. The religious people, many of them rejected him, but also many of them received him. There were those in the room who, when it clicked, they were ready to receive salvation by grace alone. I mean, they've been so close to the message of the Messiah. They knew all the right things, except they missed one thing, the Messiah himself, standing right before him. They were so close to it, they almost missed it. And what's so interesting is in this room, just like today, there, were, there was one sermon and two responses. So some of you today, when you hear the good news of Jesus, it's old news to you. It doesn't make any difference in your life. When you hear that there's salvation by grace and that Jesus accepts you right where you're at and that he's done all the things that you've failed at correctly, he's overcome everything that you've failed at. For you, you're like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if it's not a big deal. You know, I've been around that a lot. 
But for the others of you, you are here today and this is exactly what you needed to hear. I mean, this is all you need to hear so that you can receive the grace of Jesus. One message, two responses in the same room. It's interesting. The message of Jesus can be really offensive, can't it? I mean, Jesus is exclusive. He's the only way, he says. Come to me. He says, I'm the only way in truth and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is exclusive, but he also makes a seat at the table for all people. He's inclusive at the same time. And so for you, I don't know if you're offended by that or if that is just like music to your ears like it was for many of them. It's interesting. This can be a life or death message depending on where you're, where you're coming from. 2 Corinthians 2 speaks to this. It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. So imagine that. We, as the church, those who carry the gospel, to some people, it just smells like death. To other people, it smells like life. It was funny, a couple of weeks ago, we went dip netting. Um, all of our staff went down to the Kasilov River, and um, I, I brought a boat out that I borrowed from a friend of mine. So I was really excited to go dip netting in this boat, and we get it back. And one of the things I try to pride myself on is that when I give things back to people, it comes back better than when I took it, right? And so I'm Dawn Soap cleaning this thing with Simple Green and making sure I get all the smell out of it. And I washed it like five times, and the thing just reeked. I mean, just like death, dead fish. It was terrible. And so I bring it back to my buddy, Mike, and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, man. Your boat looks beautiful, but it smells terrible. It smells terrible. And he comes up to me, and he smells the boat, and he's like, that doesn't smell like death. He said, that smells like victory. <laughs> it's a true fisherman, right? He's like, that smells like victory. Isn't it funny? Something as simple as that. It's like, it's, it spoke to my heart. Like, it's the same. The gospel is the same way. To some of you, you're like, it just smells like death. I don't want it. I don't need it. It's old news. But to others of you, you need this every single week. I love that the crowd was, man, they were just thirsty for more. Like, Paul, would you just preach the same message again? That would make my job easier, right? Same thing every single week. Um, but that's what we do. We come back to Jesus. We come back to the gospel. And to those who are being saved, it is life. So would you stand up? Let's, let's pray as we close out today. Jesus, I just want to thank you for your church. God, thanks that we don't have to do this alone. God, thanks that you didn't just leave us to figure this out, but you gave us the people that stand around us right now to journey with us, to love us, to give us a hard truth once in a while and to challenge us the way that we need to be challenged. Father, we keep coming back to the truth that you love us despite us. You love us despite of where we've been. God, you love us despite of where we're going to go. You just meet us here. And and God, I thank you that you just didn't die for one of us or for a few of us. That you didn't just die for those few chosen people, God, but you gave your life for the world. And so, God, today I pray as we look at the church that you died for, that we would love her the way that you love her. God, she is your bride, and you, you say that she is beautiful. And God, we admit and confess that, that, that we're broken and that sometimes we don't look like you the way that we should. 
God, there's hypocrisy in our lives. Sometimes we don't love and forgive well. Sometimes we judge others. And Father, I pray that you would rip that out of our hearts and replace it with your deep compassion and love, especially for those who were lost, especially for those who have not yet heard the good news. So God, I pray we'd be like this church going to the, to, to the, to the ends of the earth to share the good news. Thank you for loving us, God. We worship you in the next few moments for all that you've done in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.